Welcome to Diet Culture Dropout. Are you ready to drop out of the $72 billion narrative that you've been sold? Diet culture sells us lies, unattainable beauty standards, the narrative that your body's inadequate, and dictates how you should define your health. It is pervasive, oppressive, and damaging to all areas of our health. By dropping out of diet culture, we can together celebrate all bodies, work towards dismantling weight stigma, and stop the transgenerational trauma of body shame and dieting. I'm your host, Athena Brown, a non-diet and body-inclusive registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, yoga teacher, and a mom of two strong-willed daughters. My passion is helping people heal their relationship with their body and food so they can live a full life without restrictions, size limits, or food rules. I also desperately want to change the narrative for our kids so they can be the first generation that never diets, has resilience in our body-obsessed world, and a positive relationship with food. This podcast is a safe space for exploration, mindful moments, and take-home practices for anyone looking to find food peace and body liberation. Please remember that this is for educational purposes only and does not replace medical advice from your primary care provider, therapist, or registered dietitian. I am so happy you're here. I want you to know that wherever you are in your food and body peace journey, that there is room at this table for you. You are so worthy, just as you are right now. Welcome back to Diet Culture Dropout. We are continuing with the intuitive eating series and we are on principle number five, which is feel your fullness. And I'm joined today with a colleague, not too far down Highway 7 from me, um, Christine McPhail. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Mm -hmm. So Christine, can you start us off with telling listeners a little bit more about who you are? where you're located and the type of work you do on a daily basis. Yeah, sounds good. So um, I am a registered dietitian. Um, I'm actually in training to become a psychotherapist as well. I'm located in Ottawa, Ontario. And um, the work that I do now, I work in private practice. Um, I actually co-founded a practice called Blossom Counseling Center with my colleague, Jose Savinsky. Um, and there we're working with not only dietitians, but also therapists. And, you know, one of our main focuses is around, um, disordered eating and body image. Um, I'm really addressing the idea that there's systemic influences on people's relationship with food and their bodies and mental health. Um, so that's what my day-to-day looks like, which is, it's kind of my dream job. I would say it's, it's really fulfilling and rewarding, And, um, I found that work from becoming a dietitian and kind of being trained more in that traditional wheat centric focus, um, and realizing as I was working and I, I worked in clinical settings and public health, I taught at a university, like I kind of did all the jobs that a new dietitian 
really, you know, can get their hands on. And I realized pretty quickly that people's relationship with food, their bodies and movement was so much more complicated and intricate. And as I learned more and more about diet culture and fat phobia and other systems of oppression, really just social justice issues, I realized that some of the ways that I was taught to work with food and people just didn't actually work in practice. Mm -hmm. So that kind of led me to this weight inclusive approach when it comes to dietetics um, and therapy, actually. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, amazing. We're so happy to have you and growing the non-diet weight inclusive space. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. And then because this is a podcast, only audio, um, can you give listeners kind of, a you know, an understanding of maybe some identities or privileges that, um, you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a white cis woman. Um, I have middle kind of middle-class income. Um, so I carry a lot of privilege in that way. Um, I would say I carry thin or straight size privilege, Um, So I don't live in a larger body. Um, Other identities that I have, I am a queer woman um, and I'm open about that in my practice as well. So I'm a queer provider. Um, My pronouns are she, her. And I think that's, that's pretty much it. I imagine there's other areas of privilege that I didn't name, but um, that's, those are my main identities. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. All right. And then I always like to start the podcast off by getting real life, you know, examples of how diet culture comes up in everybody's lives. Um, Mm -hmm. So do you have anything that kind of happened more recently of kind Mm -hmm. of, yeah, walk us through kind of the process of identifying it and how it came up for you? Totally. So I love this question. Um, And it's interesting because my initial thought was, Oh, I'm being exposed to diet culture all the time. Um, yep. I'm quoting Christy Harrison, we live in diet culture soup um, and we're just immersed in it. So, you know, as far as what has come up for me personally, I notice it all the time. I think once you sort of have a much more like keen awareness of how diet culture shows up in the world, you do, you can't really unsee it. Um, so I would say most recently, something that I got exposed to that I kind of expected, but it was still sort of disappointed, um, was trying a new virtual reality, um, fitness kind of game. And it's, it's like, a when you're doing it, it's like a, a group fitness class, which I really enjoy that kind of group environment. And since, you know, with lockdowns and things like that, it was kind of a fun thing to explore, mm-hmm. but I knew I was like, mm, it's a fitness program. <laughs> so oh, what's okay. the messaging going to be like in these mm-hmm. pre-recorded things? So that was actually something where I was very aware that that might happen. And I did notice in some of the comments and some of the classes that I was doing, there were like body-based comments or appearance-based comments tied in with movement, which is a huge pet peeve for me because, you know, as we talk about, and you will talk about in intuitive eating, that joyful movement principle, right? It can be really tarnished by all these body shaming type of messages. Mm -hmm. So I noticed when I was kind of playing the game that there were a few comments like that. And, um, I knew right away what it was and it didn't make me feel as I think upset as maybe it would to someone who's less aware. I was very aware that like, that's a diet culture message. That's not a, a, a message I have to cling to or spend mm-hmm. a lot of time with. It doesn't align with my values, but mm-hmm. it was disappointing. So mm-hmm. it does show yeah. up. That's a more traditional place, but yep. yeah. Yeah. 
the, the fitness industry is kind of the next that really needs to do a big cycle clean too. I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Being more size inclusive with equipment, Mm -hmm. but messaging, especially and that moving our bodies does not have to mean changing our bodies. It can be just because we feel good doing it. If movement is something that appeals to you. Yeah, exactly. That intention behind what we're doing. Yeah. 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 So that is part of the future podcast plan. I have some um, fitness instructors that are going to come talk to. So it's, it's great to see like that community also exploding too with um, our body positive, positive, sorry, body positivity and um, kind of taking a health at every size non-diet approach too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do exist out there. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Um, And that's like a really good point too, that I'm sure you probably talk to your clients about too, is you know, don't be afraid to kind of interview or like check in with studios or clubs or fitness centers about kind of their values around, you know, the culture and the the narrative for their places, because, um, and especially now with COVID, there's so many more virtual options, right. And there's, you know, lots of people doing really amazing and brave and, um, Mm -hmm. different things that maybe that's more appealing to you and more safe for where you are in your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. There's more and more providers like that. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I do talk about that with my clients a lot as well and trying to find, um, you know, people who are fitness instructors or running programs like that, that, you know, kind of represent that diversity to you around body size or ethnicity or whatever. And it's so important and it, it is out there. It's just, yeah, it's, it's not quite mainstream yet in regards mm-hmm. to what's available, but it's, mm-hmm. it's possible to find programs that don't involve body yeah. shaming. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Great. All right. So today, like I had mentioned in the intro, we're on number five and I'll just read the ex the expert in the book excerpt in the book of feel your fullness. So listen to your body signals that tell you that you are no longer hungry. Observe the signs that show that you're comfortably full pause in the middle of eating and ask yourself how the food tastes and what your current fullness level is. So it's kind of like the overarching um, theme of today's chat. So Christine, do you maybe want to start us off with how you would describe fullness? Mm -hmm. So fullness to me, you know, if I'm working with clients on this, I always kind of share it the like concept, right. As it's so individual, like how fullness is experienced, um, and depending on the person and their own kind of awareness of body sensations, it's going to show up differently. So for me, I'm thinking about physical sensations, like, you know, kind of a sensation of fullness in the stomach. However, that like shows up for people. Um, but more so the satisfaction piece to me, fullness, like true comfortable fullness involves being not just full, but satisfied. Um, which of course is another intuitive eating principle. Um, and looking for those signs, like we might feel a bit more content, right. We might start to feel a bit more mellow than some, for some people, our energy might pick up. Hopefully (laughs) we're giving our body some energy so we can get some energy, um, in that moment. We might notice our mood kind of shifts. Um, you know, when we're hungry, you know, the lovely expression of getting hangry is very real. It affects our mood. So the idea of fullness as a sensation can sometimes be way beyond like the physical sensation. There can be some other kind of signs that you might actually be full and satisfied that 
are more mental, I would say. So mm-hmm. those are some of the things I talk about um, with clients and, and really encouraging people to explore it themselves and see, you know, if we notice a time where we're full, what does it feel like for you? Right. The same with um, tuning into hunger, it can show up really differently. So I say, mm-hmm. I think fullness is the same way. Absolutely. Yeah. I really love the echo, to echo. Yeah. It's very individualized and um, you know, sometimes people don't, you know, have those really loud signals. And this, this principle is really trying to connect back to those and be more in that experience of what your body's telling you. Yeah. Great. So because it is mm-hmm. 2022 and yeah. we are busy people most of the time, yeah. what would you say are some common barriers to experience fullness for people today? So the first thing that came to mind is actually for at least a lot of my clients, but in general, I think fullness is something that people, um, fear, mm-hmm. uh, emotionally, um, especially when we look at the history of diets or any kind of food rules at all, whether we label that as a diet or, or something else, um, we may have been taught what is uh, a right amount. You can't see me. I'm doing little air quotations. Uh, what is a right amount to eat? And so sometimes these messages around what we should be eating or how much we should be eating to me, that's like the number one barrier is the preconceived idea of what it's supposed to be rather than what our body is actually like telling us through its signals. Mm-hmm. Another thing, like you said, like we live really busy lives. So, you know, um, I know in the intuitive eating workbook and and book, it talks a lot about distracted eating. And I do think that's a valid point in the sense that if we're busy doing other things, we sort of, and we're eating at the same time, we might miss out on the satisfaction. We might kind of miss some of the more subtle cues of fullness. Um, and that's okay. Um, distracted eating, I think gets a bad wrap sometimes, but it's also a really normal thing. So I kind of look at that too, again, with clients around like what makes you feel comfortable when you're eating. And, you know, that could be distracted eating. Sometimes that might actually be more comfortable and and other times, you know, it's okay to experiment with less distractions around meals and making meals like a really special time or just something that's kind of more pleasant and joyful. It's a practice, but I do think that that like, being rushed and kind of eating, not really having the importance that it ought to in the sense of like satisfaction and joy is a huge barrier because we're all just like running around and being busy. We don't have a chance to really tune in, um, to notice not only when we're full, but also when we're hungry, like it goes both ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just to add to that too, um, I feel, I don't know, you can tell me if you relate to this, but just sometimes people, because they are so busy and that like time pressure and that urgency, um, I feel like sometimes people feel that like sitting down and actually feeding themselves is Mm -hmm. like um, a waste of time or Mm. like, you know, I, I can't do X, Y, Z at work. So I need to be like multitasking. So just that value and importance of like that self-care moment of just sitting down, um, yeah. And feeding yourself too. Um, cause we are so yeah. rushed and busy and yeah, that capitalistic question, yes. go, go, go is, um, yeah. you know, an extra layer in this as well too. Absolutely. It could be a social norm, right. And mm-hmm. this may be more appropriate, like pre COVID times, but if the social norm at your work is for people to work through their lunch break and not actually take 
a, a true break, it can be really hard to go against mm-hmm. the norm, even mm-hmm. if you think that that's what's right for you. So I know we'll talk about that as, you know, the idea of setting boundaries and um, yes. yep. setting intentions for ourselves, but yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So why don't we yeah, dive right into that? So how can, <laughs> we, work, how can we work on that? <laughs> so, you know, I think um, on that point around the fullness, um, we have the fear of fullness. We have like diet culture messaging. We have social norms. Um, another point that I wanted to make to you is that idea that depending on the structure of our day, kind of where we're at hunger level wise, um, our own relationship with food, our history with food, if we've been deprived of food, whether that's through rules or physical deprivation, um, all of those things are going to play into how we show up to a meal and, and how comfortable we feel. Um, if food feels like something that's going to be taken away, that's going to influence, you know, fullness too, or eating past kind of comfortable fullness, which Mm -hmm. is totally valid. Again, there's no shame in any of these experiences. Mm -hmm. I'm always really clear with clients. Like if you're eating past comfortable fullness, that's not something to be ashamed of. It happens and it's okay. It's, It's also okay to notice like how that feels. And, you know, if you were at a more comfortable stage of fullness, how that feels. And again, it's like an evolving process. So I I guess the most common way when we think about, you know, feeling fullness and really, you know, honoring our body's cues would be more of that kind of mindful eating, um, spending time, like you said, like being able to rest and really show up for our meals doesn't have to be a long time, but taking that time for ourselves to really like connect with ourselves, if that's safe and comfortable for, you know, the individual person, um, I think another thing we're talking about, um, just like awareness of fullness, I've had clients do, um, like hunger fullness kind of journaling again, very like from a curiosity standpoint, not a judgmental standpoint to pay attention to how did that feel going into that meal and after, and, you know, how satisfied were you? Can we notice some themes around perhaps what it's like when we don't get to sit down and enjoy our meal? Or if we go too long without eating, how does that impact things and kind of looking for patterns? And that to me is like a very like standard way of like self-monitoring kind of our experiences. But of course that doesn't, you know, isn't always helpful for everyone. Um, A big thing here would be you know, the idea of boundaries, not only with others, but with ourselves around boundaries around like diet culture messaging, you know, giving ourselves unconditional permission to eat to me is a boundary that we have to set with ourselves in that we're not going to let diet culture's messages influence our behaviors. That's the boundary. And that is an ongoing boundary that we have to kind of uphold. So that idea of, you know, when I was on XYZ diet, this is where I would have had to stop, or this was the right amount, but instead saying, how am I really feeling right now? You know, as I'm learning about what fullness feels like for me or what it might feel like, am I really there? Right. And being able to, again, that unconditional permission and challenging those food rules. Mm -hmm. Um, another challenge, I know a lot of people get into, and you mentioned it when people are working through, you know, lunch breaks or, or just being very busy, is that if we go too long without eating, we're going to be in a state of urgency, <laughs> which is, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I love our, that our bodies will do that. That is great from a evolution perspective and survival as a species that when we get hungry, we eat quite quickly. We're very like focused on food. 
and trying to nourish ourselves. And I always remind my clients, again, not nothing to be ashamed of. That's your body doing its job. But in those moments of urgency, you will probably eat quickly and it might be enjoyable. It might not be, but there's no way we can truly slow down when we are deprived. So that's another kind of all the factors, they all interconnect. Yeah. Yeah. And that last one that's, yeah, it's very urgent. It's really hard to, you know, eat mindfully to sit down to, you know, be more present in your body because that's trumping all of those, um, just to kind of inhale your food as my mom used to always say to us when we were kids eating fast, um, yeah, the quickest nourishment that will get the gas in the engine as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So a big part of intuitive eating, I think we've touched upon on other episodes, but the kind of baseline is, well, the foundation is really trying to build more introceptive awareness. So that ability to perceive those physical sensations that happen in your body, you know, having that awareness of it and then you know, the thought pattern of, okay, now am I going to act on that? And how are you going to, you know, show your body some self-care or self-love by responding to those behaviors or those awareness or cues, sorry. Um, Mm -hmm. So a lot of this work is just really trying to connect back with the body. And like Christina said, for some people that may have, you know, different various traumas, food insecurity is a big one that- makes all of this very challenging, um, and really connecting back to what your body is telling you, you know, historically may have been something that was, you know, traumatic was a problem was something mm-hmm. you maybe couldn't have done anything about. So, yeah. um, a lot of this work is, you know, people do get to their edges and it's really important that you get the right support, I guess, especially yes. if you're in more of a complicated, um, relationship, uh, with, kind of in tuning with your body. I just kind of wanted to put that up there too. Yeah, absolutely. I I totally agree. And, you know, looking at our history and relationship with food, both growing up and even recently to really understand that our past does influence our present. Um, Mm -hmm. and it, if we have dealt with, yeah, food insecurity, again, it will influence our relationship with food. And that's again, our brain's way of adapting to you know, um, something that shouldn't have been deprived, right. That people experience. Um, yeah. So it's, Mm -hmm. uh, another piece around that I was going to mention too, just given my practice, I work with a lot of people with eating disorders and I know that that isn't necessarily the focus in in these podcasts, but I want to make a point in case anyone's listening who may be questioning whether they have an eating disorder or they have a history with an eating disorder. Mindful eating is something that really, I think sometimes gets put on a pedestal. It gets looked at as this amazing thing. And it can be a really joyful experience depending on our motivations for doing it. If we're getting into weight centric motivations, that's probably going to be less helpful of a tool. I know for people though, in recovery, um, mindful eating might not be the safest option. And and it is okay. Again, maybe we're getting support from a therapist or a dietitian that we might need to distract ourselves in some meals. And even if you don't have a history of disordered eating, sometimes it's fun to have our meal like with a movie. And so I, I try to help people with that too, because one thing that diet culture does is it does create rules and kind of all or nothing thinking And in the intuitive eating process, it's so in the gray area. So Mm -hmm. knowing this isn't a rule, mindful eating isn't something you have to do all the time. You don't have to do it at all if it's not feeling like the right fit for you. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but it is okay to eat with distraction because sometimes we're eating for social reasons and for fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just, yeah, there's so many good reasons to eat that have nothing to do with our body yeah. sensations. That's only part exactly. of it. So we yeah. just got to give that caveat. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for providing that. Yeah. Um, so then since mm. diet culture is everywhere and we yes. live in this hot <laughs> soup of it. Yeah. <laughs> so what are maybe some tricks, um, diet culture promotes, not that we're encouraging anyone to do these right now, but just, yeah. you know, screening for maybe some past behaviors or thought patterns, um, to kind of trick your body into feeling full. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, we think about, you know, general eating, like we need, and we will kind of get into gentle nutrition here, um, for anyone listening. So we need to have a variety of foods and nutrients. So the basics like protein, fat, carbohydrates, um, you know, and needing those to feel satisfied and full makes sense, right? Cause these are the nutrients that we need to survive. Diet culture likes to demonize. And I think anyone working in this field is is always a little bit appalled that the way diet culture demonizes things that people really need for their well-being, you know, and basic, just very basic nourishment levels. So mm-hmm. I would say, like, as just like a rule of thumb, if someone's looking at something, if something's being advertised as low in anything, mm-hmm. it means it's missing things. That's actually not a positive thing, even though diet culture spins it. And if something is low in carbs or low in fat, it likely might not be as satisfying. Um, it could be make us temporarily full, but not really be something that actually fills us. It kind of like it's filler. That's like the way I look at it. So that kind of messaging is something, um, coffee, absolutely. Um, being mindful of how that influences your, your hunger and fullness levels. And, you know, I, I tell my clients like coffee is life. It's joy. It's wonderful it is not a meal. It is not a snack. Mm-hmm. Um, so being mindful of things like that and any of the diet culture rules that tell you to fill up on things to stay full, the intention is not always to fill up on things. It's to find the combination of foods that work best for you. So mm-hmm. I think being mindful of anything that's kind of meant to replace food, if that makes yeah. sense, yeah. that's like a good yeah. rule of them. So I'll maybe dive into some more ideas. So yeah. car- carbonated water is another one too, right? They're filling mm-hmm. with air. Sometimes people are like, I'll just have this to like tie me over kind of thing. Yeah. Like um, what a great refreshment to have with your snack. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or meals. Yeah. Yeah. Add to, um, things that are more like drinks or shakes or, you know, really yeah. dense and high volumes of protein, um, that are you know, very limited or low in everything else. Yeah. Um, sugar-free gum. I remember that was like the craze. I remember when I was in high school, everyone was yeah. just gum chewing all the time. Yeah. Um, and then like the whole keto world explosion, like mm-hmm. going to Costco and everything is like keto snack, keto, yeah. ice cream, like keto, everything. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, carbs are carbs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's challenging. And then sweeteners is another one too, that I think diet culture likes to, um, you know, have this instead of that kind of that good and bad one or the other. Absolutely. Um, or other plans or wellness trends that have like free foods, usually call them like zero or yeah. What other, other terms generally fruits and vegetables. Um, Yeah. 
although fruits have started to be like a demon lately, um, yes, things that give you lots of bulk, but not a lot of fat or protein, you know, the whole, or even energy, right? Energy. Yep. 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 Yeah. So yeah, those types of trickery, um, Mm -hmm. tricks your fullness and then your body again, it's, it's just, it's going to take time to like retrust your body or for your body yes. to trust you too. Right. After yeah. Yeah. Kind of experimenting with all these trickery. Um, exactly. So those are just some gentle ideas. Not that I'm encouraging anyone to use those. Um, mm-hmm. and solo yeah. isolation. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's sort of, um, I was going to say like some of these food things can be hard for people to hear, but at the mm-hmm. same time, um, you know, it's that reminder that in no way, especially in this podcast, do we encourage any of these sort of mottos, but that you w- will see them right out in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's helpful mm-hmm. to have that ability to filter and say, I don't need to trick my body into being full. You know, mm-hmm. um, I can eat a variety of foods and feel full and satisfied. I don't need to cut anything out of my meal. It's, it's a good rule of thumb to be mindful if, mm-hmm. um, we're purchasing a product or, being, you know, influenced by the messages around us to, Mm -hmm. to use that, like, you know, if it says that it's cutting something out, it's probably not a message I need to be paying attention to, because that's not actually Mm going to serve me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I find sometimes too, if we just want to circle back to like the mindful eating too, is I feel sometimes that can kind of be tainted with diet culture too. Like slowing down, like the purpose still is to only eat X volume, right? Yes. And by slowing down or delaying, you know, you're, you're going to over time eat less volume. And that's not at all. Like, no, if you're more satisfied and enjoying the food, like maybe that is an end result, but maybe some people, right. Um, so just, that's not, yeah. I find sometimes that's like a gray area that I'm like, Oh, I don't know um, yeah. fully if I'm a hundred percent behind that, but exactly. Yeah. It's a way that diet culture has co-opted language that was rooted in mindfulness mm-hmm. and was about being present in the moment and being satisfied and mm-hmm. kind of giving our body nourishment as like a source of joy really. And it mm-hmm. taints it. And if anyone listening has had that mindset right around that more weight centric idea of like, how is this going to influence my eating and body size and all of that? I mean, that's, that's fat phobia for you. That's how it shows Mm -hmm. up in the world. Um, Another great filter, if something is promising to change your body size based on things, it's that is fat phobia and Mm -hmm. we have to be mindful of those messages. So I I hear you. It it gives me the ick as well. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then for anyone that like has challenges with fullness too, or feeling that they're, you know, really full after a lot of, a lot of meals, like, I guess just giving yourself the grace that like, that will eventually pass. You're Mm -hmm. not like a bad, morally problematic person. Yeah. And that, you know, there's probably some extra layers of things that are contributing to that. So yeah. You know, fullness is, is a great thing. And even if we go back to like the intent behind why we eat, when we think of like family celebrations, like yeah. Thanksgiving, you know, usually it's diet culture being like, Oh, you know, you're yeah. going to overeat kind of thing. But like, there's so many reasons why you should overeat. You exactly. Know? Like enjoy, yeah. like, especially now with COVID yeah. we, ha- we haven't been having those family meals or those big wedding celebrations. I That's bet, right. You know, people yeah. Italians especially right we know them yeah. for their wedding <laughs> celebrations like they just must yeah. be so 
distraught by not being able to celebrate with food, you know, and there's so much more, you know, to eating and that eating experience, like Christine's already said, but Mm -hmm. that it's not to fear fullness. And that's not the point of this principle is to control it. It's just really trying to be, you know, more curious and having more awareness and trying to see what that means for you. Absolutely. Well, we, we often miss the mark sometimes. Sometimes we, we will quote unquote eat past comfortable fullness and it will be uncomfortable and other times it'll be totally worth it. And it's like, it's, it's okay to kind of move within that. It's also okay to notice that we miss the mark in the sense that we weren't actually full. That's part of this principle Mm -hmm. too, is learning when we're undernourishing ourselves, which Mm -hmm. I, I think is just as important because so much of the time, the messages that people have received encourage people to eat less than they actually need to like by a lot. So in some ways we're actually trying to achieve that, but, um, that idea of learning what being full feels like, but Mm -hmm. yeah, if there's been any rules, if there's been any deprivation, it's, it's going to be, let me say it's a process, right. Of trusting your body and your body learning to trust you. And it might feel really uncomfortable when you're so used to the structure and rules that you had before, but Mm -hmm. That's where podcasts like this and resources like this are helpful to just like validate that, Mm -hmm. like learning to trust your body again is not an easy thing and, and that people aren't alone with that. Awesome. Yep. Thanks, Christine. So is there anything you want to add to this principle or in summation, anything else, Christine? Um, I mean, on this principle, I think my, my message is just to be patient with yourself. If you're learning about this principle or trying to apply it in your real life, um, finding self-compassion, which is kind of, you know, at the root of intuitive eating, really making the space for why this principle might bring up challenging things for you emotionally, um, and physically at times. And it's an ongoing process, right? Like the goal isn't to eat till comfortable fullness perfectly all the time. Again, that's like the all or nothing diet kind of culture Mm -hmm. messaging, Um, what we're looking for is how do we honor our body's cues, like majority of the time, um, and seeing what it feels like when we do like actually being full and satisfied with a meal gives us the energy to do all the other things with our life that dieting would keep us from doing, or that restriction would keep us from doing. So yeah, just being patient with yourself is my, like, just my tip on this principle and all the principles really. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely love that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So in closing, what would you say is the single most protective action someone can take to protect themselves from diet culture? Such a good question. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure if other people have responded to this the same way, probably, um, finding community. Um, I know a lot of my clients will come to my practice and, really feel like they're the only person exploring these concepts. And I always reassure them, like you are not alone. There are a lot of people who are trying to repair their relationship with food and their body and movement. So whether that's online or in person, uh, finding people who are a bit like-minded can be helpful. Um, because as we talked about diet culture messaging is, is everywhere and it's internalized. So we need those safe spaces or bubbles where we get to talk about kind of the anti-diet weight inclusive approach. Um, I encourage people follow fat content creators, right? Fat liberation content, books, podcasts, um, social media accounts, um, learning from people who have 
lived experience in larger bodies and their experiences can help us just remind ourselves why we don't want to engage with these systems of oppression and we don't want to encourage them. Um, I think that's, that's a good way to immunize ourselves against diet culture just by aligning with people who are opposing it and people who are affected by it the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have an obligation to do that. And if we can support those content creators financially, that's important as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We haven't had that one. So thanks, Christine. Oh, good. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> and then what about for people that maybe have kids or little mm-hmm. people in their life, how can they protect them or shield them from diet culture? Yeah, I think this is such a hard one knowing that like kids will be exposed to these messages in the same way all of us are. Um, but what we can do is have the discussions and role model at home. So not demonizing bodies or food, not making comments about our child's body or eating practices, um, really trying to respect their autonomy in that process of eating and nourishing themselves, um, which, you know, I know you work with families can be a bit, a bit of a complicated process. It's easier said than done, but that would be a good rule of thumb. Um, and teaching kids about body size diversity, all types of diversity, right? Acknowledging that these systems of oppression exist and that it isn't okay to judge others for their eating practices, for their, you know, movement patterns or their body size that we, you know, we aren't allowed to put people down for that. I think just establishing that if we were all taught that when we were younger, mm-hmm. the world would be a much more inclusive space. It, it's a good place to start. So mm-hmm. That's my, my tips. (laughs) Thank you. And where can listeners find you and learn more about your work? So I am primarily on Instagram. So, um, I know we can um, share resources in the show notes after, but I'll I'll just say my, my handle is Christine McPhail RD. Um, and then my practice is blossom counseling center. So those are both on Instagram. Incredible. So hopefully everybody found this tip there or sorry, this principle, very informative. And thank you so much, Christine, for diving into this with us today. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to diet culture dropout. If you like today's podcast, I would love for you to leave a review, share the episode with a friend or subscribe. The more we can collectively break down diet culture, the closer we get to food peace and celebrating all bodies. Thanks for being here.